Hi, welcome to the Plastic Press Gang Podcast, a podcast about playing historicals in a very relaxed way. My name is Calvin, I use he, him pronouns, and I am, surprisingly, not the reason this is late. And I'm Eric, I use he, him pronouns as well, and I am absolutely the reason this is late. Sorry about that, y'all. Um, life happens, we get things happening, Eric has been... Eric has been not home for more than a consecutive week at a time since august yeah so uh you get what you pay for sorry um but yeah welcome back uh we've made it again and uh fear we're just gonna hop right in and talk about what we've been working on since the last time we talked so before we do that i have another thing that's eric's fault that was pointed out by a listener in our 30 years war episode uh where i incorrectly identified which reich is which that's hard to say um so Uh, We said that the First Reich was the Roman Empire, the Second Reich was the Holy Roman Empire, and the Third Reich was the baddies. Uh, That is actually not correct. The First Reich is the Holy Roman Empire. The Second Reich is uh, Kaiser Wilhelm and Otto von Bismarck's little thing in the um, 1800s, and the Third Reich, still the baddies. Yeah. Although the Second Reich also kind of baddies, but that's because Otto von Bismarck and Hindenburg were a bunch of proto-fascist dickheads. True, but less, but less the comic book baddies. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so back on to hobby progress. Eric, what's your hobby progress? Absolutely nothing. Um, That's not actually true, but it's pretty darn close to true. I have been aspirationally hoping to hobby. I have gotten a little bit of things done. Um, we are looking at doing some Cold War Goes Hot uh, related uh, projects and content. And so for that, I bought... Uh, a bunch of models for Team Yankee, though we're not going to necessarily use them for Team Yankee. Mostly uh, some Danes and some Swedes, uh, which is exciting. Um, as usual, when I get super busy, what I actually do is sort of optimistically shop for projects in the future so I can tell myself that when these models arrive, I will have free time. Uh, given I recently also won our club's uh, Pile of Shame slash Closet of Opportunity competition. This is not actually a workable system, but it is mine. Uh, So I've been working on that. I have been doing some experimenting with 3D printing at 15 millimeter scales for aforementioned projects. So figuring out which um, sort of models scale down well, what settings to use, uh, when to switch to a resin printer at that um, particular scale, because it's a different decision. Um, And so some stuff like that. So I've been making a little bit of hobby progress, uh, but not a huge amount, and most of it's just laying groundwork. <sighs> okay. Here's where I have to crack out the list. So the last podcast we had, I spoke that I was working on stream with my uh, sharp practice French army. Well, that's done now. Also done is my Agincourt English for Lion Rampant, and uh, a French army for the Franco-Prussian War using Rebels and Patriots or... Eagles of Empire or Sharp Practice, whatever we wanted to use for that. Um, I got... What else did I get done? Oh, I started work on some cowboys. I started work on a British horse for the American uh, War of Independence. Uh, I got the first six models done there. Um, I finished the Soviets for Seven Days of the River Rhine slash Team Yankee, which there's quite a number of them. I did a test model for... Uh, some, like, modern special forces for something, eventually. I finished a small gift that I need to give to Eric uh, that will eventually make its way over to him, along with some SAS and Long Range Desert Group for uh, the Northern Desert, 
Uh, specifically, they're the models from the new Desert Raid, along with some of the recent uh, Soldiers of Fortune from Warlord, and some of their Jeeps that they have for the Desert SAS. So I've painted one or two things. Yeah, so that's usually how this segment goes. Oh, and also I started a, uh, also a Russian Napoleonic army got started. Because Calvin makes good life choices. That was a birthday gift. We have, however, made some progress with the club in uh, focusing that energy a little bit, uh, which we're uh, going to talk about for games we're looking at slash working on. Uh, because we have a, a new member of the club who's interested in historicals, uh, wisely knows he can't keep up with Calvin. Um, and so we have decided to focus a little bit on stuff uh, right now that is, as far as I'm aware, mostly the 15 millimeter um, genre. Uh, looking at yeah. uh, Push of Pike, which is the 30 Years War, but tiny, um, based off the, uh, what is it, Pike and Shot rule set. And then also Seven Days to the River Rhine, which is a game, um, essentially, as far as I can tell, designed to solve the Team Yankee parking lot problem by uh, taking the same scale as Team Yankee on the same size board as Team Yankee, and then increasing the points involved in the game by like an order of magnitude. So that having, you know, I have eight tanks in my army is a like grotesquely large army for this and actually more unworkable than is probably a good idea, and I will probably cut that in half for most games, um, to just space things out a bit so that you don't get, like, four Abrams pressed front to back in some sort of Abrams centipede uh, driving down a road. So um, looking forward to both of those games, partially because I hear, though I have no experience with, 15mm being relatively easy to paint. Um, my experience with smaller scale models is Adeptus Titanicus, which is the opposite of easy to paint um but yeah i'm uh looking forward to it i can confirm that fact in that 15 mil is super easy to paint um i think i busted out most of the soviets that i did were like nice done in like a single four hour painting session yeah because it's paint them green you're done congratulations uh, i also did manage to get and whether or not this is a historicals game is is probably a discussion <clears throat> For another podcast episode, I did, uh, with another buddy at the club, play a uh, lot of, uh, I am now blanking on the name. Are you talking about the Silver Bayonet with Rob? Yes, Silver Bayonet. Um, we played a lot of Silver Bayonet, um, and that game is amazing, and we will talk about it more in a later episode, because Silver Bayonet is amazing. Especially since I've had several uh, listeners poke me and say, hey, we want to hear about Silver Bayonet. Yeah, we may move that up the list because seriously, I cannot say enough good things about that game. Yeah, or just generally like, you know, the alternate historical slash uh, yeah. vaguely historical games. Because that's the other thing is I painted a lot of models for uh, Gloom Trench is what they're originally from. I'm planning on using them for Last War, but they were extraordinarily fun to paint up, and I suppose we'll talk about that at a later date, along with our idea of doing, you know, Silver Bayonet, but uh, Pike and Shot era. Yeah. Oh, and I did order uh, What a Cowboy, so... Because you're a monster who must be stopped. That... I can paint 10 models and order a rulebook. It's fine. Yes, but then I have to paint 10 models and order a rulebook. No, no, you don't. You realize, like, for that game, you need, like, four dudes okay well then i have to paint four models which still is asking a lot right now no you you can use mine no having no, 10 will be own, enough gotta have my own cowboys 
this is this is a particular issue of mine. <laughs> You're making this your problem by I yourself. Have created for me is my reticence to both use other people's models and my reticence to do commission painting. Both of these problems entirely me related problems. I admit that. But speaking of doing things on the Pike and Shot era, uh, what are we actually talking about today, Calvin? So today we're actually doing a nice deep look at one of the games that we've talked about before, talked about a lot, um, and one that we actually played fairly recently before we did this for this reason. And that is the game Pikeman's Lament by Daniel Mercy. Uh, so the TLDR at the top is this game rips. Yeah, this is a really good game. But you want some more info than that. So... I think the key to know about Pikeman's Lament is it is a uh, it is one game in a sort of constellation of games uh, by the same designer who uh, has happened across a very good uh, mechanic and just rolled with it. Uh, so if you play Lion Rampant, Dragon Rampant, uh, The Men Who Would Be Kings, uh, Pikeman's Lament, you are playing in broad strokes, a similar game. Uh, in this case, this is the, not just 30 Years War, but I think it is most appropriately the Pike and Shot era uh, is the sort of broad genre for it. Uh, we play it at 28 millimeter. I think you could probably get away with playing it at 15 millimeter on a smaller board, and that could be fun. Uh, I know lots of groups do it at 10 mil just to do like larger games where it's just like oh look this block of guys is like a unit you know kind of thing yeah um and this is i think in the genre of what you'd call a big skirmish game uh so you're talking about units that act as units uh you are talking about not necessarily keeping track of individual models save your commander uh but at the same time you don't have very many models this can definitely be played in a night um, and still have time to do some other stuff that night. Uh, so I think it's in that that sort of category um, that I that I put it in, where you're not committing to a massive game, but it's not quite a skirmish game in the style where if you say skirmish game, a lot of people picture, you know, ten individual dudes moving around versus like, no, this is a this is a block of pike and it's got a bunch of people in it. Yeah. So the big thing that runs most of Daniel Mercy's games and specifically Pikeman's Lament is this whole kind of idea of pushing your luck with these unit activations where to do a thing with a unit you have to roll a certain number on 2d6 uh, some things are easier to do than others uh, for example I can't shoot my cannon Th this is normal yeah so you have units are generally speaking good at a thing and are fairly willing to do that thing so, for example, a unit of shot uh, is usually pretty straightforward to get to shoot, um, and much, much harder if you're like, hey, you should charge those dudes. Um, in contrast, a unit of, like, Galloper or Heavy Cavalry, um, very eager to move, very eager to charge, um, not interested in doing a whole lot else. Uh, and so that's the sort of mechanic, and importantly, as you try your activations, if you fail, you're done. Uh, that is how the turn switches between players. Um, that, I think, is a really interesting and fairly dynamic system. It does inject some tactics into what is a fairly simple um, sort of mechanic, because while you've set up a nice charge where, like, 
Calvin's got a pike block. I'm gonna shoot it with one unit of musketeers, then shoot it with another unit of musketeers, and then I'm gonna close from the flanks with both of my cavalry units. Um, that might not happen. Um, and it might not happen at all. Pieces of it could happen. I could get the, you know, the shot units to shoot, and then the cavalry will be like, nah, we're good. Um, and so there's a lot of trying to figure out how to position yourself in a way where if you fail, are you okay? And I think that's one of the things I uh, have found I really like in war games at this point that um, 40k has sort of lost is the ability to fail and planning for how to fail. So that's that's the sort of mm-hmm. unit activation mechanic that drives the, the whole engine. Then when you're talking about most opposed roles, um, you have a very simple sort of dice pool mechanic where if your unit is at full strength, you roll 12 dice. If your unit is half strength, you roll six dice and you're rolling against a target number. So for example, a um, commanded shot unit, which I use a lot of, which we'll talk about in a bit, uh, their target number to shoot is a five up. So you roll 12 dice, you see how many of those are five or more, and then you compare that against the stamina of the unit you're shooting at. So if you're shooting it again, another unit of commanded shot, they're pretty weak. Um, So they're potentially, they've got a stamina of one, I think it's two if they're being shot at. So you say, okay, I've got three fives in my pool. You have a stamina of two. So two of those dice kill one of your dudes and the third one's wasted. Uh, You can then thus get very durable units who have a stamina of say three or four where you're not necessarily going to lose a lot of people. um, And two of those units sort of running into each other is often something of a slog um, and often largely going to be determined more by morale than actually I killed a dude. Um, So yeah, that's the basic mechanic. Yeah. Another thing is, do you want to touch on later, like the few slight changes we make to it? Yeah, let's touch on that a little bit later once we uh, have gone through what we like about it, etc. Um, I will I will edit the outline while you talk yeah. next uh, so that we remember to do that. Sounds good. So one of the big things is like kind of what do we really enjoy the most about this game? Uh, one of them is that the system is insanely straightforward. I think we probably had like one game of us learning it and then by game two we were like ready to party ready to go barely looking at the book except to remember wait what is that exact number that we need to roll yeah uh for the most part my consultation of the rule book is uh choosing a mission at the beginning me forgetting the stats of my units which is embarrassing because i only have like three types and then uh the occasional weird edge case uh where we have to figure out like okay yeah what happens if two units of cavalry both tied and then retreated what does that mean um things like that what happens what happens next but for the most part um it's a very easy system um as calvin put it in the notes it it occupies that blood bowl brain space of like i just want to meet up with a friend roll some dice have fun have cool things happen that aren't expected because it's a dice game um and go from there and it's a really it's a really nice system to do that it's relaxing um, it's it's just a fun game. Also, another piece of the Blood Bowl brain space in there is the way you think about your turn, where it's like, oh, what are the easiest things that I can do first? It's that idea of going, oh, these are the ones that I'm more likely to do. I'll do those first. And then move on throughout to the more, you know, the more longer, longer shot things as you go. Another thing that I really like about this that we may want to touch more on later is the fact that there is a very solid campaign system just in the base rules 
just like with your character that you choose at the start of the game, your commander traits, like it's very heavily built into the system, which is, I think, a really interesting thing to play with. Yeah, I really enjoy that. And also, the missions are refreshingly simple. The missions are really nice. Um, I think both of us, uh, this is this is tagged rants about esports missions, and I think that's a fair thing. Uh, both of us are at this point in our hobby journeys a little bit tired of the plan how you score secondary points for a given opponent given a given army um you know thinking about that uh, a lot of the missions in here are uh, fairly straightforward uh, they're often asymmetrical and they often have uh objectives that if you focus on the objectives uh you can potentially do quite well even if you're losing dudes left and right so a very good example of that like, is uh, the game we played to evaluate uh, this game uh, for, for right before this to sort of have it fresh in our minds as we wrote the notes for this, which was a, a game where my Swedes were ambushing Calvin's army while he was asleep. Uh, that is a very asymmetrical mission. Calvin starts in the uh, middle of the board. His units wake up randomly. If I manage to set fire to a building before the unit that's in it wakes up, they all die, etc., etc. Um, but in exchange, uh, Calvin's army started with a bunch of pike units formed up all together, uh, which is sort of awkward, and I had to come to him. Uh, so there's sort of some nice asymmetry there. Um, I ended up, uh, if we discount special orders winning, we'll come to that later, and if we don't discount special orders losing uh, by one, uh, but that was largely, but... I think we, like, tied. Yeah, I think we might have tied. But regardless, like, I... I was losing that game if you just looked at the units. Um, I had had both of my cavalry units mangled. My commander was dragged off the field, badly wounded. Um, things were not going well for me. After a duel, which was fun. Uh, but three of the four buildings I was supposed to be raiding were on fire. Um, and that was mostly what I was supposed to be doing. So... The missions are really great uh, for that. Another thing I really like about it is, and this is a combination of the, a little bit the system and a little bit the period, is there are no faction rules. There's no like, oh, you're playing the Polish. This is what you get. Um, there are just units. Uh, there are three types of cavalry, two types of shots, arguably three if you would count the Forlorn Hope. Uh, a couple types of units of infantry and cannons and that's pretty much it and so you can really make a force sort of fit your play style whatever you want since this was all german mercenaries anyway you can articulate uh how that came about really easily and so there's a lot of flexibility there and that also comes with uh a nice um sort of segue to how you do this for for hobbying which is that you get to use the vast range of models that exist for 30 Years' War and English Civil War, which we talked a little bit about during the 30 Years' War episode. Uh, but there are a ton of models out there that are really characterful um, that you can use and just use a little bit of them and sort of splash them in because it's not a very big game. Uh, and so that's that's one of the reasons I'm particularly fond of it. Like I'm looking at some bloody miniatures to add as like extra pieces, my forlorn hope, or potentially as like other commander figures that I can throw around in places. Because right now, 
my well actually that'll probably i'll save this for probably later when we start talking about our actual forces but i've got some fun things coming up for that yeah all right so that we've talked about what we like about this game uh what is it we don't like about this game and this is a weird one because this is like we gripe about specific rules in the thing is what we don't like about it like there's nothing that's like structural yeah the game as a whole there's nothing we don't like uh there are very specific rules that uh either we don't like because they don't work with how we work or that we think are genuine sort of problems so calvin you want to touch on the first one because i don't think this is a problem because it benefits me yeah yeah uh so one is wild charge which is just a thing that says hey these guys are going to charge or want to charge before anything else happens it makes them like hit harder all that kind of fun stuff but also it gives you a slightly different thing to worry about um but also it's a zero point upgrade to make them better and to make the cavalry do what they want to do anyway i don't think that should be a free (laughs) yeah i think the key i think the key to wild charge is that uh wild charge units uh go first which is you know awkward um and also uh let's just look it up uh so generally speaking what you're doing is you're taking something that gives you wild charge along with another another rule so for example for gallopers which is what i use on this on aggressive gallopers are a zero point upgrade that makes their attack value better um and then when they're within attack range you must text to activate uh, a uh, charge, but if you fail that, it doesn't end your turn. So it gives you sort of a chance to activate um, to make sure they're doing what they're doing, because generally speaking, if you have gallopers and they're within range of an enemy, enemy, they're gonna wanna go. Um, And it's a zero point upgrade. Uh, Both of us have found it's pretty strong for that. This is one of those things where like, uh, if you see something that's going to break the game, just walk on by. Uh, you can make an army entirely of, like, elite, aggressive gallopers, and uh, that's going to be real annoying for your opponent to fight. Uh, and it costs nothing more than just standard elite cavalry. Um, so it's one of those things where, like, yes, technically the issue is you can bait units, so, like, Calvin can put a unit of pike up front and be like, sure, you have to wild charge... Go ahead. Here's a formed unit of here's a formed unit of a pike. Have fun with that. Be yeah, like single tier, uh, but like <clears throat> in exchange, there are ways to mitigate that. So uh, my commander rolled uh, for his very first roll, probably the best trait for him to ever have, which is uh, his unit can just opt out of wild charging, even though they have it. So they can be like, no, it's cool, we're good. Yeah. So it's a completely free upgrade at that point, and I think it's really. Either taking wild charge on mass, because you can't possibly bait all of your enemy's cavalry so that they're all bad charges, or the combination of that with that commander trait that makes it really quite good. Um, the next one is one that um, bites me in the ass all the time, which is there are what are called special orders, which is you can declare that in addition to the objectives of the game, you are going to do extra cool stuff uh and these come in three two and one honor versions so one honor is if you make it you get one honor which is the sort of campaign system for keeping track of how cool you are and if you fail them you lose one honor 
So this is also the one honor special orders are things like you have to make the first attack. Your officer has to issue a challenge. Um, all of your units have to make at least one attack. So you can set up an army where these are fairly achievable, but um, I still have trouble with them. Uh, two honor ones, which are a little bit steeper, uh, are things like you have to kill or route more enemy units than you lose. Uh, you have to kill more units with attacks than shooting. Um, you have to destroy two enemies in one turn. And then three honor special orders, which are sort of go big or go home. Uh, you have to kill the enemy officer in a duel or attack. Um, my favorite one is, is, quote, draw no more than your handkerchief from your pocket. Your officer's unit may not attack or shoot at another unit or itself be attacked. Uh, which is really, really hard to do. Um, but you can do it. Uh, or, like, route or kill 12 uh, points in one turn, which is just basically, like, almost table your opponent uh, in a single turn. Uh, I have experimented with these. These are optional. You don't have to take them. Uh, I very rarely have these work out in my favor. Um, so personally, I have largely started trying to restrain myself from taking these. Yeah, and even me, like, when I take them, I take, like, one or two of the one-honor ones. Like, I never have gone super hard into them. So they never bit me as hard. But I can see how they sometimes just do not work. Or it's just like, oh, I took this, and then things went badly. Yeah. I'm fucked now in the campaign. I, I think it's things where, like, especially if you think about even a one-honor one order, like, charge, which... One of your units must declare the game's first attack. Um, that'll work real well as long as the activation system cooperates. And the activation activation system is not known for cooperating. So this is actually, I don't think this is a bad rule. I think this adds a lot of flavor. I think you can build whole armies around special orders. Like if you want to do like a polished uh, winged hussars unit where like literally all of your dudes are just elite cavalry. Um, take the special order where all of your units attack because that will probably happen uh, but there are uh, definitely some some of those that are either difficult or you're just like yeah that's not going to happen um, so yeah that's one that I struggle with a little bit and then we're going to talk about the one that benefits Calvin a little bit more um, so Calvin do you want to talk about uh, units with very high stamina so some of the units have like base three stamina. Some of the bigger ones, like I think it's elite gallopers have four. So you have to have four successes on whatever dice you're rolling on these attacks, shots, whatever to kill one. This doesn't seem like that big of a deal until you realize most of the numbers are like at best a three up on 12 dice. So it's like, cool, you kill two guys in a turn. And then they start doing things like, oh, now I'm behind a wall. Oh, that adds one to my stamina. Now I'm at five stamina. And all of a sudden you need five successes on, if they're behind a wall, you're probably shooting at them, five ups. It's like, cool. So I'm just never touching that unit ever again because they've got just so much stamina. And you never think, it's not going to be that big of a difference between like, you know, four and five. That can't be too much of a difference. Until you think about it, if you rolled all 12 successes, if there's stamina four, you kill three. If there's stamina five, you can only ever kill two models at all, period, on any attacks, doing the best you can do. 
And so we have kind of made ourselves kind of an informal errata of stamina can't go above four just to make things a little bit easier for everyone so they don't have to deal with these like monstrous units you can't dig out of cover period yeah there was a couple games we had where uh for example uh both uh so like yeah elite gallopers are stamina four um forlorn hope is stamina three and they're pretty easy to get into cover because they're a small infantry unit uh so there's some things that are really dug in where like if you have night fighting, that may increase your stamina by one and things like that. And there's something very demoralizing about rolling, like, especially the shooting units, because historically <clears throat> in this area, shooting isn't all that great. So you're you're targeting five ups, you roll your dice, you get three five ups, and that does you nothing. And you're just like, cool, next. Um, and these units often also have very good morale. So it's not as if oh, but if you get that one through, they're gonna they're gonna panic and break. Um, so yeah, we've we've amended that to you can't go above stamina four. I could see for a special scenario or something wanting to waive that, uh, but it is a thing that we cap it at just because we both found it to be really demoralizing um, to not <clears throat> to consistently not be able to do anything over an entire turn. Where like no, I have I have poured literally everything into this unit and it's fine um is is somewhat difficult to to sort of take in good stride for a game that's supposed to be fairly casual yeah but once again overall the way we think about the game is like all everything structural about the game is totally fine totally awesome it's like as you like we've gone through three things that are very specific yeah and these are and these are all nitpicks like you could you could successfully play this game and both not really encounter these things or be like no i think it's fine like i like i said i think the special order system is fine i'm just not good at it um and that is yeah because what happens is is i start imagining what would happen if i nail that three honor uh, objective and then i don't do it um and then i'm like oh cool well i won but i got no honor for that because I said I was going to kill your dude, and I didn't. Um, and so, like, all of these are... And similarly, like, big stamina units. Really, we're only talking about a couple units in also special circumstances. So, this unit and in cover. Or this unit and in cover, and it's nighttime. Um, so, like, it doesn't actually come up a huge amount. So, assuming that our very small problems with this game uh, haven't turned you off, um, because they shouldn't have, because this game is great, uh, Calvin, if I wanted to start this, where, where do I start? Where do I buy my models? I mean, the easy button is you poke, you know, you click on over and you go, Battalion Starter Box. Yes, please. Click that. You've got two armies for anything, essentially, in the era. Yeah. Um, that's the quick and easy way to do it. Pretty much the starter box, either that or the Tequila King box, if you also think you might want to try Pike and Shot later. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really, I think, that the answer is, as with a lot of historicals games, especially this is part of the Osprey Blue Book series, which are uh, fairly small, sort of inherently beer and pretzelsy games uh, that are, I want to say, 96 pages or... 
64 pages. It's one of those. 64, I think. Uh, 64 pages. These are small games, and they're miniatures agnostic in the sense that Osprey isn't going to make miniatures for these. Uh, so uh, the Warlord uh, plastic sets, if they're an era where they're making plastic sets for you, are a great way to get started because, like, the Battalion Box set is supposed to be able to make you a battalion. Um, Pikeman's Laments is about a company. Companies are smaller than battalions. Um, and then you can supplement that a little bit. So, like, for example, you can order one of the uh, cavalry-related starter sets and have more cavalry than you're ever going to need. Um, or you can be me and buy cannons. Yes, or buy cannon or supplement with some cool-looking Forlorn Hope dudes. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things you can then do from there where you can sprinkle that in. So, for example, I've got... Um, the some dragoons that are uh, also from Warlord. I ordered most of my stuff from Warlord, but again, there's stuff from Perry. There's really characterful models uh, from a lot of different manufacturers. So like, I've got some skirmishers who are, uh, I think, also from Perry. Uh, but there's uh, a number of different manufacturers uh, that make little things. So I ordered, I think, from I want to say Empress like an, another officer because I wanted an officer who looked different in case my officer dies, which he tries to do literally every game. Um, so like, there's a lot of stuff like that um, that it's very easy to get started, but really the best way I think for you and your friend to get started is as Calvin said, either the Battalion starter set, um, which will give you enough just plastic dudes or uh, the To Kill a King uh, set, which will give you uh, plastic dudes and a rule. Another thing I'll point out is we talk about mainly playing this game in like, you know, 30 years war, English Civil War, Italian Wars if you want to get spicy and pick up like the Lance Neck box, which I did. Uh, another idea you could think of is, hey, you know what like uh, Sengoku period, like, you know, warfare was? Lots of guys with pointy sticks, lots of guys with guns, guys on horses, guys with big swords. Y you know what this game does really well? Warfare with those. So if you want to get spicy, pick up like, I don't know, the Samurai Army starter box from Warlord. And all of a sudden, you've got two armies for that. I kind of want to do that, honestly, because I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, there's there's definitely ways to do that. It's a, it's a good way to explore... Uh, basically any war of the period where it is still viable to stab a guy rather than just shoot him. Uh, and you can you can go a lot, you know, uh, the examples in this go all the way up to the Great Northern War uh, where you can start talking about, like, there are rules in here for when we figure out that you can attach a bayonet to a musket. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of flexibility here. We're talking about this primarily in the context of the Thirty Years' War because that's how we're playing it. Uh, this also works for the English Civil War, so I, uh, if you, if you, yeah. If you, if our rant about it in episode two didn't put yeah, you Yeah, if that didn't put you off and you're playing the English Civil War, or if you're an English listener and thus you are playing the English Civil War because it is as far as I can tell what everyone on your island plays, uh... This works perfectly well for the English Civil War. It's the same damn units. It is often the same damn people. Um, so uh, you can you can definitely get away with it. Looking at you, Scott. Uh, and we talk more about this in the Thirty Years' War episode for uh, a lot of things like that. 
I think this is also a great game, as we mentioned, the sort of narrative um, perspective on a lot of the scenarios. This is a great game for uh, model-based objectives. So we have a couple sort of crates of supplies that I 3D printed. Uh, I have bought because it was on sale at some point. Uh, Warlord has a barnyard animals set. There is definitely a cattle raid scenario in here. Um, they have, uh, I think I ordered from Empress Miniatures a, like, a wagon um, and some, like, wounded people and a signpost. There's tons of potential here for really evocative um, narrative objective markers. I am looking at picking up some of the bloody miniatures, like the more civilian looking models. Yeah. And having those as like objectives for us, Steve. Like, I don't know, the Witchfinder General set. Yeah. Be cool. Would be fun. That is the other thing, is in the game, you can either purchase or there is occasionally a good thing that happens where you get, you know, an experienced sergeant or a preacher or someone like that, where you can have really character for models where, you know, your, your pikemen are now being led by some, you know, Protestant firebrand who's, who's yelling about Calvinist doctrine as they advance. Um, there's lots of potential there for modeling uh, where, because it's that sort of big skirmish feel, you can have some of those really characterful dudes in a backdrop of, and yeah, then there's like 15 yeah. But anyway, now that we've kind of ranted on about where you can go, what do we have? Uh, I have actually two different uh, units, or I guess armies for this game. Uh, the first one is my classic... Uh, Actually, let's go chronological order. First, the old one is I've got my Italian Wars Landsnecks hanging out, which they are an elite pike unit of 12 dudes with my commander, a normal unit of pike dudes, a unit of shot, a aggressive forlorn hope, which replaces their, like, guns and grenades for gnarly melee weapons. In this case, uh, great swords, the Zweihanders, because... I'm playing Lancenecks, I gotta. And then, because I'm me, I have an Italian mercenary named Giuseppe with a very large cannon who shoots more often than uh, Ivan does, which is funny. And that's who we played the last uh, game we did before this. Uh, they were the ones who got attacked while they were in quarters and managed to beat off the Swedes. Um, and then there's also my... Uh, normal 30 years war army which is a bunch of tired imperial uh german soldiers where i've got a normal pike block a unit of shot another aggressive forlorn hope this time they're like dismounted uh cavalrymen with uh pistols and swords and a petard and a cannon because I like cannons, and this one specifically is a Russian uh, mercenary named Ivan and his cannon Svetlana, who will shoot when Svetlana wants to shoot. And Spoiler, Svetlana does not want to shoot very much. No, but Ivan likes punching cavalrymen. Yes, Ivan has uh, developed an extremely frustrating reputation for being able to repel cavalry charges, uh, which no artillery unit should be able to do, and yet... Um, I will occasionally charge that cannon and, like, lose two dudes, um, which is just egregious. Once again, we, we joked about doing, like, a 
zero point or one point upgrade that's just Ivan, where it's like the cannon will not shoot as often, but they've got a real gnarly melee score. Yeah, like plus one to fight, minus one to well, I guess since it's it's the other way around, because it would be activations. So it would be minus one to your fight uh activation and like plus one to shoot or something like that. Uh because Ivan is egregious and uh a monster. So my force, which we have alluded to a little bit, um, was designed around the idea of a sort of Swedish uh, raiding or reconnaissance force. So it's got two unit of units of what are called gallopers, which is uh, heavy cavalry that is intended to charge. Uh, one of them is elite, aggressive, and has my commander in it. Uh, those are the hard boys. And then the other one is uh, none of those things and so is sort of a, a flanking unit. I have two units of what is called commanded shot, which is uh, the Swedes would put um, shot units sort of intermixed with their cavalry that were supposed to support them. So these are sort of skirmishing uh, musket armed troops. The nice part about them is one of their special abilities is when they're charged, they can shoot and then retreat. Um, and indeed they can do that in their normal activation. Uh, it's Slightly easier to just shoot, and but if you accept that it's a little harder to activate, you can shoot and then move, or move and then shoot, which gives them some mobility. In exchange, they're extremely fragile. I've got two units of those. A unit of Dragoons, which is a mounted musket unit that has basically those same abilities. Um, and that's it. Um, so it's a... Well, specifically, your uh, commanded shot are elite commanded Yes. Shot. Um... One of the one of the things I think is sort of mandatory for commanded shot and dragoons is making them elite because we talked about that target number. Um, for the non-elite versions of those, if you move and then shoot, that target number is six, which realistically means you're not gonna do anything when you do that because the expectation uh, when rolling twelve dice is you'll get two results, which is enough to kill very few things where you're actually worried about them attacking. Uh, so I think bumping that up to five is uh, sort of mandatory, um, and they work really well. Uh, my dragoons, particularly, are a menace. So we do have that on here. Um, I think now that we've sort of gone through both forces, Calvin, what is your standout unit? Um, so in the few games I've played with them, I still think the real standout unit is Aggressive Forlorn Hope. Those six guys will absolutely murder face anything they run into. Even, like, if they get charged by heavy cavalry. They've got a pretty good chance of coming out pretty alright. Um, it's just six guys running around on foot. And, I mean, you actively avoid them uh, when we play. Like, you actively go out of your way to stay out of the area where they are in. Um, which... Is kind of a win for me either way. Either you come in there and we duke it out, or you stay away from there, and I just can have a wing to myself with them. Yeah. Um, and again, as mentioned, uh, that is a zero-point upgrade. Um, it's wildly good. Um, the one downside is it takes away their shooting value, but their shooting value, which is genuinely pretty good. Um, but it's hard to get. They're a hard unit. It also, it makes them stamina four too. Yeah, which is it makes them stamina four. Their attack value becomes three, so they are as good as elite uh, gallopers. 
Uh, and they're tough. Like, charging them is not a trivial thing. Um, I am very curious because we have not played with non-aggressive uh, Forlorn Hope. So either uh, just regular Forlorn Hope or veteran Forlorn Hope who are better at shooting. Um, I'm curious as to how they uh, work. Because I think that that could potentially... Those units could be very nasty in sort of defensive play. Uh, well, one thing about veteran Forlorn Hope is that six dudes that become... A third of your army. Yeah. Yeah, they're very expensive. However, in cover, their uh, stamina four use their normal attack and defense values, uh, hit on a four up for shooting, and have an 18-inch range, uh, which is nasty. Um, so I think it's a, an alternate. We talked a little bit about potentially a unit like that. If you're really interested in uh, artillery, one of the ways... One of the effects your officer has is that he makes activations slightly easier. Uh, both Calvin and I struggle with the fact that our officers are in uh, frontline units, and so are often out of range of things that need some help with activations, like, say, cannons. Uh, we have talked a little bit about what if you tucked an officer in a unit of veteran Forlorn Hope um, and sort of built a uh, cannon and shot unit that's nevertheless still pretty hard to root out of uh, some cover as a sort of mechanism. But as, as Calvin alluded to, that's like probably half to two-thirds of your army at this point. So my standout unit um, is actually not my aggressive elite gallopers because they're sort of hard countered by this nonsense Forlorn Hope unit, uh, but my dragoons. Uh, who are uh, a unit of veteran dragoons, and they are very good at uh, getting objectives. They're stamina three, so for a shooting unit, they're pretty durable. Um, they are good at shooting. They can sort of deliver firepower wherever I need them to be. They're good at objectives, and the ability to, with a degree of reliability, uh, get out of the way when charged and have caused some casualties in that process is incredibly valuable. I have in a couple games sort of slowly devoured one of Calvin's units by... Normally my cavalry. Normally his cavalry, um, because the, the Forlorn Hope, generally speaking, I have tried to deal with by that point. But Calvin has a cavalry unit, or this also works for, um, you know, pike or units like that, where... As they try to advance, you try to retreat, and um, that works pretty well. Um, they The one thing they don't stand up very well to is a proper uh, shot unit, um, just because there's a there's a lot of, of bullets headed your way with those. Um, or if when a cannon actually does shoot. Yes, or when a cannon actually does shoot. Basically, they don't like getting shot at. Um, and they are absolutely garbage if they get attacked. Um, but again, the idea is between being able to move 12 inches um, and potentially being able to uh, move half their movement if they get charged, uh, that will get them out of the way of most things if you're paying attention. So yeah, those are definitely, um, I think, my standout unit. That is the one where Calvin is like, you have to get these guys painted, um, and I agree with him. Yeah, like, come on, man. I, I want to see them done because they're kicking my ass. Which is fair. 
And then if you want more information about where to get models, uh, cool characters to play from, you know, general history of these conflicts we're talking about, we did a whole episode about it. Check out episode two, which is, I believe, labeled as uh, By God, That's Wallenstein's Music. It, it is indeed. Um, okay. So. So we had sort of alluded to this, and a lot of games, when you play them, are one-offs. You know, my army fights your army, we fight it out, and uh, that's the end of it. And then the next, uh, the next battle is entirely fresh and as if we have never seen each other before. Um, this system has a campaign play option that is, in my mind, absolutely how you should play this game. Um, Calvin, you want to go through it a bit? All, all of Daniel Mercy's games, all of Daniel Mercy's games have this, and yeah, it's just so well integrated into the game itself. Like, you always choose, like, at the start of the game, like, cool, your officer, you know, Hans von Langenschlangen, whatever. Uh, you go, oh, cool, I have this guy. Then you have to roll a trait for him. This could be, oh, he's a drunkard. Oh, he's, you know, a hard man who likes throwing, who's really good at close combat. Oh, he's an old man who might know a thing or two, but also is more likely to get got, which both our guys are. Are they're two old men who should not be uh, who should not still be in this war and yet are yeah, and it's really well integrated in where it's like oh for completing objectives you get honor for your guys, and this honor lets you improve your guys' stats when they reach certain levels and they get you know uh, promoted and they get oh a new trait like you know oh I might be now you know, able to restrain my guys from a wild charge, or I'm able to, you know, or I get, oh, this actually happened a couple times with my officer is, oh, you, uh, you received more honor for being promoted. Congratulations. You are now promoted again. Which is just kind of interesting because there's also a point where it's, oh, you've been promoted so much. You've been promoted to lead a battalion, make a new officer. So it's got a nice way out of the campaign for these like super powered characters you make which is a really interesting thing to me yeah so uh, some things I really like about this system is uh, there's not a lot of bookkeeping uh, that is one thing that sort of uh, drains I think a lot of uh, campaign systems is you know keeping track of if each one of these units has X many you know other units they've routed, they get thing. Uh, it's not that. It's it's entirely centered on your commander, uh, which does give you the excuse to buy a sort of flamboyant-looking general model. Uh, one of the things I do genuinely love is that the success, there's a successful end to your officer's career, which is if they get 61 honor, they are promoted to colonel, and they go command a full regiment, and that is a different game. Um, so you still have to make a new officer. Because your current officer has been promoted um, and is now in charge of a full full uh, full regiment, and then at the same time you can die uh, when you are uh, attacked. So whenever you have two units go together and casualties are inflicted, you roll two dice to see if what there's called a lucky blow, which is where this did indeed impact your commander. Uh, our guys, because they are uh, both old men. Um, this is instead of just double ones, it's any combination of one and a two, uh, which makes it much more likely. It's not 
likely, but it's much more likely. And then you find out what happens when your officer is a casualty. And that can be anything from, uh, they have a wild escapade and, uh, you know, outwit their opponents and end up getting extra honor to, uh, they die in a field, uh, and that's the end of it. They just, they're, they're done. Um, or that, you know, you lose a trait, you're wounded. For the most part, I found that there's not a huge amount of consequence um, to this, but there is definitely, there's definitely a potential for, for just like, yep, your officer died because it's the Thirty Years' War and it's terrible. Um, and I think this makes for really good sort of framing a campaign as the rivalry between two officers commanding small units. So in um, our case, uh, Calvin and Hans versus um, now, I believe currently Captain Skarsgård? Yeah. Yeah, both of you guys are captains, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and part of the thing is like, I'm genuinely sort of hoping my guy makes it to being promoted to a colonel and I'm then going to, in push of pike, I'm going to have a Colonel Skarsgård uh, who is commanding one of the uh, regiments. So I think it's a really good for sort of narrative um, building things out of it and having this sort of you know, the Thirty Years' War for a lot of it were not big set-piece battles but sort of just like horrible skirmishes as two armies come close to each other. Um... Yeah. 60 guys killing each other in a field next to a house. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of potential room for that. And so I like that the campaign is built in. It is clearly the assumed to be the default way to play the game. And it is also not so powerful that if um, my guy finally, finally gets murked and I re-roll an ensign, uh, that's not going to wildly change how my army works. Uh, Calvin's got a little bit of an advantage now, but not a lot of one. Um, and not one that can't be overcome pretty readily. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a it's a nice system, it's a clean system, and it's fairly light, and I really like that. Uh, because it lets you tell the story of a particular dude. Yeah, and it's also, like, it's got just enough of a roleplay element in it to make you invested in your dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, if Captain Skarsgård catches a bullet, I will be sad. I mean, I will be too, honestly. Yeah, so maybe you should stop attacking him with Forlorn Hope. I mean, they're not shooting him. They're just trying to cut him into small bits. True. Anyway, another thing we've talked about is kind of the scale of the game, where we talk about a lot like, oh, you know, we've got 50-ish guys aside. 24 points is what they normally use. But I know some people, especially when they start doing it like 10 mil scale, they triple the size of things and they play like Pikeman's Lament, but big version. We have some opinions on that. Yeah. So in the rulebook, because I just ran across this, um, the the author talks about bumping unit sizes up to like 30 from 24, which is basically get another unit, two units if they're cheap. Um. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, bigger than that... Bumping it to 50 points. 
points. Yeah, bumping it to 50 points or 60 points or something like that. Um, the problem is inherently, because you're using the activation system, you will run out of activations. Essentially, you know, th this is the inherent part of this. If you think about this as a coin flip, you know, if you flip a coin once, you have a 50% chance of activating. If you flip that coin again, you have a 50% chance of activating, etc., etc. You're eventually going to fail that. And with more units, you're inevitably not going to get to a bunch of your units. And I think the issue with that is if you, you sort of take the rules as written and use it with that particular mechanism, whole parts of your army are essentially going to get neglected. Because Calvin mentioned the sort of blood bowl mentality of figuring out either what are the easy things to do or what are the important things to do. Like, I have to, X has to happen. So I need to do it first because otherwise I run the risk of it not getting done because somebody else failed to do their thing. Um, and so what will happen, I think, with big units and, and big games is whole parts of your army will end up being neglected for most of the game. Uh, and so, like, as you are far away, you will prioritize shooting and then you'll be like, oh, crap, I need to get my cavalry going. Um, so we have thought a little bit about how to deal with this problem. Uh, Calvin, you want to tackle the first one? So one idea we had was that uh, units with heroes, you know, the, the rabble rouser, the experienced sergeant, they can act on their own. Kind of like it's a one point upgrade that says, hey, they can roll to do something. Like, you know, so even if you fail your other stuff, they can still try to do stuff on their own. This, I do kind of like. Um, for example, if I look at one of Daniel Mercy's other games, actually, that's a different solution entirely that I think is interesting. Um, so we'll w wait for that until after we do the feeling multiple attachments thing. But it gives you a reason to take these one-point upgrades that are otherwise just like, oh, plus one to morale. It's like, or, you know, this could also give you the ability to use that unit more effectively like yeah and i think this would be a good way to position units to make sure that they can do things but uh would still be a problem like so if you fail your activations and can't activate anymore but your one unit with a junior officer can still do things that somewhat mitigates the the end of the activation thing but odds are you still have other parts of your army that you want to activate. And if you go the other way and sort of go whole hog and be like, my army is immune to worrying about failing activations, you're probably playing down at least a unit. Um, and so I think there's, I think that's a, a workable solution. Uh, I think it's one that integrates easily with the current rules. Um, and then I think does very nicely um, give you a reason to buy these little one-point characters who I have I have found I have never really wished I had one in my unit when I didn't. Um, well, I mean, the only way we've dealt with them is we get one occasionally on the good things happen table. Yeah, um, but like I've, I've never been like, oh man, you know what would have turned this game around is if I had had a sergeant with this unit. Um, of course, I think genuinely, if you're like, no, but my dragoons could always do their thing because I paid for this, um, that would potentially be um, worth taking. 
So uh, the other solution, which I'll talk about for a bit, and then we'll uh, touch on Calvin's mysterious third solution, is um, playing this game as if it is actually just a multiplayer game. Also, uh, you're playing multiple armies as one big army. So essentially each roughly 24 to 30 point detachment, say, figure out how much you actively want to play. So if we say it's 50, split that in half or let there be a little bit of flex between them, but say, okay, this is a 25 point army with an officer, roll up that officer, take a second detachment, say this is a 25 point army, roll it up as a second officer, and uh, you're essentially playing multiple armies so that when you fail your activation, that is the end of that detachment's activations, not the army's activations. So you could go through, you know, everything that uh, Captain Skarsgård does, and then when he finally fails, uh, switch over to, uh, you know, Captain Erickson and do all their stuff. Uh, this is a little bit more cumbersome, in my opinion. Um, but in fairness, you're playing a big game. Uh, it does allow for some of that failed activation um, bad vibes to come in still, because like one of your detachments just sitting there picking its nose is not great. Um, but it's probably, I think, one of the easier ways to just adapt things. Uh, there is a question there with then, do you want to designate an overall commander and somehow make them better? Um, you know, be like, okay, but like, what there actually is is a captain and an ensign, and uh, the captain gets an additional something in addition to normally what they have. I don't actually think that that's necessary. Um, and you can just represent this as like, because you have examples all over history where like, two captains who don't really talk to each other end up on the same battlefield and like don't coordinate their actions at all uh so i don't think you actually have to do that i think historically you probably shouldn't uh but i think if you want to keep that sort of campaign play this is about a hero i could see designating an overall force commander um and giving them some sort of minor little little boost yeah so, Calvin, what's your third idea? So, this is actually me pulling from another one of Daniel Mercy's titles, uh, The Men Who Would Be Kings. In there, certain units have, or units have a certain thing where it's like, oh, the regular infantry, you know, the redcoats, whatever you may have, have an ability where it's like, oh, if they fail their activation, they can still do X, uh, X action. You know, for the regular infantry, it's, oh, they can shoot. Uh, for the irregular infantry, it's like, oh, they can move or they can go to ground. Things like that. Where it's like, oh, even if you fail, you still get to do this thing. And I think that would be an interesting thing to do for, like, the various units. Where it's like, oh, shot if they fail their activation or if they, you know, you fail your activation totally. They can still do shooting if they want. Or like, oh, the cavalry can still move if they, you know, don't get the activation or they fail. So essentially, it's giving them something they can always do without having to worry about, like, you know, rolling for it or anything like that. Yeah, and I think that's potentially a really um, decent sort of adaptation. I think that would take 
a little bit of thought between you and your opponent about what those default traits are. Uh, because, like, the example, like, yeah. shot is is really obvious that the answer should be by default they shoot, except that's also really good. Versus, like, if you're saying, like, okay, but cavalry yeah. can always move. Um, so I think I think it would take some thought there in terms of, okay, but do we have a balance? Because, you know, for, for our units, like, if you say commanded shot can always shoot and shot can always shoot, okay, cool. That's evened out. Yeah. Both of our armies have a, actually exactly the same points in units that can do a decent thing. Um, and then units that are not completely stymied, but can interact a little bit. Um, I think that's a very interesting approach. Because, um, again, it gives you that, like, well, your army is doing something. It's just not doing what you want. Um, which is, I think, the the core mechanic. Yeah. Uh, it does allow you to sort of potentially get out of some rough spots where you're like, oh, well, at least my cavalry can still move. Get the hell out of there, guys. Uh, but that's, that's, I think, okay. Um, because I think that the core of the actual morale yeah. feeling you want is your army is not responding to you. Not necessarily your army is frozen, you know, pikeman.exe has crashed. Um, so I think, I think that's potentially a very good system and, you know, one the designer came up with, uh, which is probably promising. I mean, also, though, the difference is that game has a total yeah. of seven different units versus, you know, however many there are in Pikeman's Lament. Yeah. And I think for that, there's also, I don't think most armies will end up having access or wanting all seven. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is another question with playing big pikemans, which at that point, should you just play a proper pike and shot game? I say yes. That's because I like the, uh, like, Rick Priestley Warlord systems of, like, Hail Caesar, pike and shot, black powder. Yeah. I really like them. So I say... If you want to play those big games, play those. Play them in those play them in the rules that are built for that thing. Like my Pikeman's Lament Force for 30 Years War is designed so that I can field it in Pike and mm -hmm. Shot on movement trays. Yeah, I sort of as I was writing up the how to do the multiple detachments thing, I was like, okay, so cool. I've just rewritten the Pike and Shot rules um, for sort of command and control. And so I think there is an argument. Now, with low-value, uh, low-points-value games of Pike and Shot, you get into a sort of similar problem with your army freezing and not doing anything. Ask me how I know. Um, However, they did actually recently change that in the second edition of Hail Caesar by adding in rules for yeah. playing single-brigade games, which essentially breaks down to... You fail that, they don't do anything, but you can still issue yeah. orders to all the other units. And so I think that there's there's a lot to be said for if you've gotten past what feels like a credible amount to play with Pikeman's Lament, Pike and Shot's sitting right there, and I don't know that it's actually... I don't know that the system is so good as to not, not have... It worth it to just do pike and shot instead if that's the size of game you want to play um because again as as calvin mentioned 
The units are pretty compatible, like movement trays are magic and can fix all sorts of problems. If you're doing it at the same scale, the units are very similar. Uh, so like they translate pretty easily to each other in a way where I think the actual answer having us just spent an, an agonizing amount of time talking about playing big Pikeman's games is, um, hear me out, just play Pike and Shot. Yeah. But I understand also if you go, yeah, I want to play Pikeman's Lament. It's like, go for it. More power to you. We can't stop you. We can't stop you. We will not come to your house and impound your models. But yeah. So at the end here, I fear we're going to talk about what our campaign has looked like because we've alluded to it throughout the entire thing. And the answer is, there's not a lot of structure to it. It's literally just when we play games, we're playing games with the same person on each side and like continuing their story throughout things, which is how we get things like Ivan and Svetlana. Yeah. And these stupid little things that happen throughout the games. Or or Captain Skarsgård's insane desire to apparently die on the battlefield um, because he has wounded nearly every game. Um, I mean, he's gotten nearly killed in duels twice now. I think each time we've tried to do a duel, he's... Yes, he's, he's lost both duels and nearly gotten killed. Um, I have rolled on that stupid officer wounded table at least five times. Um, and each time he rolled the same thing. It's and each like, time he's been carried away by his men who love him dearly. Um, and so that is that is sort of the emergent thing is like the Captain Skarsgård is the old man of this unit and that his, you know, his men look up to him and respect him and like that, yes, like they will make sure that if he's wounded, he's carried off the field, etc. Um, but really what it is, and you could make, I think, a much more structured campaign where you say, okay, we're doing X, we're doing, you know, we're doing, there's, I think it's 10 missions. See, I can count it. One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, you could do ten missions and be like, okay, we're doing, you know, mission, the morning assault mission, and then this other mission, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, we've just been doing it randomly, um, and so the narrative that comes from that is, yeah, that there's these two sort of minor officers who are entrusted to the sort of advanced forces of presumably a larger army. Um, who have encountered each other repeatedly, um, sort of have built up a rivalry and have, um, you know, fought in different aspects and both have won and lost. So, uh, for example, uh, at some point, uh, we played Storm the Redoubt, which is one where you have to assault a, um, sort of a fixed defensive position. Uh, that one was, I was saying that the Imperial troops had... Uh, sort of built up uh, a small fortification at a road crossing to try to impede the advancing Swedish army. Um, my guys came in and cleared them out. Uh, the uh, At some point we captured somebody. Uh, Calvin proceeded to immediately get them back in probably the worst game. Stomp the crap out of you the entire way. Yeah, and probably the worst game I've played so far. Uh, that tends to be the thing. I do better in open battles. Um, Calvin does better when army composition gets weird. Um, I, for example, did at one point force a river crossing at great cost to my own dudes. Um, yeah, that one was a bloodbath. The, uh... That one was a, just a bloodbath. There was a bridge that I think ground down three cavalry units. Um, just a disgusting bridge at this yeah. point. Uh, we had one mission foraging at a village where we literally did not 
fight each other except uh, Svetlana killed one cavalryman. Um, because essentially... Yeah, Svetlana decided to shoot. <laughs> yes, because essentially we both looted the other side of a village. Um, and then the way it worked was like, hey, it is actually better for me to just run off the board than it is to fight you. Um, and Calvin was like, oh, that's true for me too. Uh, I tried to charge one of his units with cavalry. It failed. Uh, Calvin fired his cannon for once and it killed a cavalryman. And then everyone was like, all right, that was fun. Let's go drink whatever we just stole. Um, so the, the campaign is, is a very loose campaign. It's not... Um, and this is sort of the, the gist of this podcast is we're not trying to create a particular battle. This is not, you know, the out, outskirts of Ravensburg in, you know, 1634. This is just a place. We're not doing Lutzen. We're not. Yeah, somewhere in, somewhere in probably Germany, um, some tired and miserable dudes are trying to kill each other. Um, and so it, it does make for a very loose campaign. But I think one for a lot of fun, sort of emergent gameplay. Um, and so, yeah, that's our campaign. Uh, we're both up to captains. Um, mine, I think, because I've had slightly more battlefield successes. Uh, yours, because you don't blow special orders. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're both... Um, yeah. We've both been having fun. It's nice to sort of link them together. It's nice to have a particular character. You know, as I mentioned... If, if Captain Skarsgård catches a bullet or a sword, I'm going to be super sad. Um, and then his son is going to take over. Um, so you, you've got a lot of stuff like yeah. that. I think it's, it's fun for a campaign. And I think that does really put together the, the feel for how you wanted to do something. I think you could absolutely link three or four of these together and have that be the kickoff to a campaign that then spills over into a game like Pike and Shot, um, where like, yeah, where it's like each exactly. of your captains or has like, done a thing. So and... we have made it, you know, okay. So we cleared out the redoubt and did some foraging, uh, but failed the river crossing. Means that like, okay, so the terrain for the first game should probably involve you trying to force that river crossing again. And like, it's a really great level of game to like just mess around like if you want to do like i don't know i've never painted lands next before let's try it out yeah you can paint 50 of them even if they're kind of weird looking all right so to close this out calvin i believe you have an announcement to make yeah so because of my streaming and uh my wonderful times doing uh you know everyone supporting me while i'm doing that uh, people unlocked a live episode of the podcast that we're going to do, which is going to include uh, me and Eric taking questions, both live and ones that we're going to request in a Google form that you're going to see in the description that I'm going to have to make and send a link to Eric to make work. Uh, date to be determined. We'll probably announce it with like, you know, a quick announcement on here. Uh but it will probably be sometime in the next couple months, whenever Eric ends up being less busy. Yeah, as I've I have as I have put it, my time of being not at home is coming to a middle. Um, so I still have a couple business trips that I need to take care of. Uh, but I should be we should be more available than we have been recently. Uh, so yeah, we will we will keep you informed about that. Um, if you want to keep tabs on us, uh, we have. 
uh, a presence on Twitter still, um, as long as the Hateful Bird site continues to exist. I'm on there as at Variance Hammer, and then we have an official one for the podcast, which is... Plastic Press Gang Pod. All right. Uh, or Plastic Press Pod, I think. Yeah. It's it's something. You can find us. I am also on Blue Sky at, at Variance Hammer, and I tend to mirror my posts on those two sites. Um, so yeah, uh, keep a lookout for that, uh, and we will send more information when we get a little bit closer. Yeah, and of course... Uh, our lovely editor is Ari uh, Ari Shella, which you can find on Twitter under that handle. Our art is done by the amazingly talented Space Art Punk, which you can also find on Twitter and Twitch with that cha- with that handle. And you can find me as well on Twitter as uh, Rushes Jazz and Math. Uh, I have a blue sky. I don't remember what the handle is off the top of my head. I'll eventually fill it out into something. And you can find me on Twitch on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Uh, at Nevermore Painting. Uh, and then if you want to send us uh, questions, comments, feedback, etc., um, we also have an email address. It's plasticpressgang at gmail.com. Uh, and then also I post these admittedly with a bit of delay onto YouTube. On the Variance Hammer channel, we have a dedicated podcast playlist for it. Uh, so you can also leave a comment there, like, subscribe, the whole usual thing. Uh, so yeah. I think that's it for us. Yeah. Hopefully we're a little bit more on time with the next episode. We're going to try. All right. Y'all have a good time. Bye.